from being rebellious. Isaiah 66, we have first passage, then Exodus chapter 19. I was thinking on the word newness, partially because of what we're doing in Sunday school. We have a little short series coming up on newness. And uh, now I'll tell you the uh, and the and so with the uh, series, uh, I was thinking on that word, studying on the word, and I got to thinking about it. And uh, tonight, I'm going to speak to you on a new nation, a new nation. Then, uh, Lord willing, on Sunday morning, we'll be dealing with a new covenant, and then Sunday evening, a new person. And so, I'm excited. I plan on showing up for those. Going to be some good Bible teaching, and I want to I want to hear it, and uh, so looking forward to it. But we're in Isaiah chapter sixty six, and uh, I want us to go over there, and I'll join you there. That'll help in the reading if I show up. Isaiah chapter sixty six, and I want to show you starting verse five of that chapter. It says, "Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at His word, your brethren that hated you." that cast you out for my name's sake, said, let the Lord be glorified, but He shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. A voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that rendereth recompense to His enemies. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Verse 8 poses a question. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Naturally, normally, no, that would not be the case, would it? Or shall a nation be born at once? Normally, no. You study history, that's a process. For as soon as Zion travailed... She brought forth her children. And what happened was, it, by that time, what we're going to read about in Exodus 19 was history. It already happened. And yet, it would be repeated in a sense again <laughs> in modern times, just after World War II, that a nation would be born in a day. Now, nation, as you would gather, that nation's Israel. And uh, she was born in a day when she came out of the Egypt. She was separate. She wasn't, she wasn't a nation at that point. And she was separated out and made a nation. A whole nation was born in a day. And then after the Balfour Declaration and such, Israel was reconstituted as a nation and was recognized as a nation. And that all happened at one particular time. Look back in Exodus 19. Exodus chapter 19. Look in verse 1. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God. And the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob 
and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings and brought you unto Myself. Now therefore, if you will obey My voice indeed and keep My covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto Me above all people, for all the earth is Mine. And ye shall be unto Me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Uh, here we read that God's chosen nation, which is the nation of Israel, still is by the way. It's distinction of having been born in a day as a new nation. It was in God's design a nation marked by separation as indicated by the Bible phrases. He said, you'll be a peculiar treasure. That means separation. You're different than anything else. Watch now. You catch this beginning part. And the other statement, he said, you're a holy nation. So this is a nation being born. And it's, it's, a, uh, it's marked by separation. God said, I've brought you out to bring you to Myself. He said, you're peculiar among all nations. You're different. You're, you're to be a kingdom of priests. And boy, there's a lot in that. I don't even have time to touch on. If you think what the role of a priest is to go between God and man. And He set aside that nation of Israel and committed to them the oracles of God, which is the written Word of God, they were chosen, supposed, their position was to go between God and man and bring forth the Word of God and the Messiah to come forth through them. And uh, so, so very, very vital what they were supposed to do. Um, God declared His intent towards this nation. And, and the thing is, there's a historical aspect of it. And then God's intention that's declared will teach us a lot. There's a lot of application. What I'm going to do tonight, I'm going to show you biblically what it's talking about about a nation being born. And then uh, what I'm going to ask you to do as we go into it, I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord to show you spiritual application. Because it's pretty amazing some of the stuff we have tonight and what we're going to see in this, right? Um, as, I, as I stated to you, that Israel is a nation marked by separation. Let's make sure that's in our minds, all right? So it's a nation marked by what? Separation. It's separated out to God for God's purpose. And that's important to understand. Separation was a threefold separation. I'm going to give you those things. Number one, it's a separation of death. I'll tell you what I mean by that. When they finally came out of Egypt, they weren't separated out of Egypt yet. In fact, the first real distinction started happening uh, when they, they went through and you had the flies and they ended up not having the flies. Then they didn't have the darkness. The land of Goshen was spared a couple of the things that the Egyptians uh, were spared. The moraine of cattle, their cattle didn't die from it, and the hail didn't affect them. But the early ones, the blood and such, did affect the Israelites. They went through some of the, some of the mess with it. And so, when they were there though, they were still in among the Egyptians. What was the final thing? We talk about the, the ten miracles or the ten plagues, or it's called a lot of different things. But those ten different events, what was the final thing that, that precipitated or the thing that happened and then Israel came out right, right after that happened. What was the final thing? What was it? Firstborn died, right. 
Now, the firstborn of every household, now watch this. It wasn't just the people, the animals as well. Everything they had, the firstborn died. Firstborn died. Firstborn died. You say, why was that? Because God said that Israel was his firstborn. That nation, those people were. And Pharaoh had treated them in such a way, and the Egyptians had treated them in such a way for over 400 years that God said there's a retribution on you for what you've done. And so when they did this, they came out, and yet the Israelites did not have to have one of their children die. They did any of them die? Probably. Because there were hearts of unbelief who didn't follow the commandment of the Lord. But actually, no one had to have it, have it die. What could they offer? What could they do to keep their firstborn from being dying? The blood of the what? The lamb. Where did it have to be placed? Door, over the door. Over the doorpost, across the lintel and the doorpost. We know that forms a cross. We know that the blood was there. We know the blood was applied with hyssop, which would be the same thing that they would take in trying to get Jesus to drink the vinegar with. And we would see this uh, going on, and they had to apply the blood, and God said those immortal words. He said, When I see the blood, I will what? Pass over you. In other words, I will go by, and nobody will die there. And that's why it's called the Passover. That's what the name means. That's what's going on. That's what's commemorated with that when we talk about the Passover. And now, uh, more modern Jews, they, they sometimes call the, uh, uh, the, the ceremony a Seder. Sometimes they'll do that or the Passover and that sort of thing. But what is it? It is the Passover. And so this first separation was by death. That's what was the final impetus for them to go out. Uh, God said, when I bring you out of Egypt, I'll bring you out with a high hand. You'll come out like conquering people. And when they left Egypt, remember the Egyptians took jewelry, took all kinds of valuable things and gave that to them before they left. God said, we're going to spoil the Egyptians just like they conquered them in war. We're going to take the goods. And, and then they went out with it. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. That's how they were birthed as a nation. See, the Egyptians didn't want to let them go. You said, because they loved the Hebrews? No, they were slave labor. The, you read about all these big monuments. You read about these things in Egypt and the great wealth of Egypt. It was built on the back of the slaves of the Hebrews. And the Hebrews had the building capacity. They were the ones who built the treasure cities. They were the ones who were gifted by God to do these things. They were extremely, uh, extremely capable people. And so what happened was when they went out, it was a separation by death. Can I tell you that uh, a nation that's born, now we're talking about this thing, about something new, a new people, a peculiar people, a kingdom of priests. How was it born? By death. Does that apply anywhere we know about? Being born by death? In fact, so much so, what happened was, look up a preacher now. So much so, hey, second row. Get up. Yo, God, look at me. I'm preaching. Uh, they, they, so much so that what happened is Jesus had said about him in the New Testament that Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So it's a separation of death. And uh, we need to understand what it costs. There's a separation. 
Now, I'm hoping that you're thinking and asking God to give you a spiritual application, you know. Your mommy may be asking God to give you patience not to kill a child during church. Eh? I help you out there, mommy. You're doing a great job. Uh, <laughs> my little angels never did that stuff. Did I, did I forget the adjective fallen? Angels? Yeah, my little fallen angels. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, it's fun being a grandpa. I see what the, the young couples are doing and the little kids. And uh, I think the kids are cute. And I'm like, oh, they're all right. I'm glad you're keeping them. They don't need to scroll around and distract everybody. And then I'm watching what y'all go through and thinking, that's funny too, but that's all right. Um, (laughs) uh, But it is a separation by death. You realize when God was going to separate out of people to himself, death was that first separation. That was that point where they come out. There's no such thing as a bloodless salvation. There's no such thing as a salvation that that did not cost a great sacrifice. So I say that that's the first thing. Second thing is, we said that it's it's a nation marked by separation and separation and death. Then there's a separation of deliverance. That's the Red Sea. The Red Sea is a distinct statement of some things. Here's what it was. Number one, God's power in their deliverance. When the children of Israel came out, everybody heard about what happened at the Red Sea. That's a big body of water. What happened there was unbelievable. I was just I was telling teachers for a different reason because of the person reading the audio book was like just they were not a good reader. But uh, I was listening to an audio book on the Tri-State Tornado, which is a tornado in 1925, and it actually sucked dry part of the Wabash River when it went across it. Emptied lakes out when it went across. It just unbelievable. It was a massive, massive tornado. It was on the ground for 219 miles as an F5 tornado. And before the Fujita scale, but as far as the damage, they know what it was like. And uh, you see all that going up. And you're talking about an ocean. You're talking about a sea, rather. And it stood up. And it congealed. Do you know there were boats on that sea? Do you know there were other people lived all around it? Do you know you're going to know something like that's going on? Do you know a weight or a wind that's strong enough that overnight it moves a sea back and drives the ground out? You're going to hear that a long way off? Do you know when all of a sudden one of the, the, the mightiest expeditionary forces of its time, the chariots and mobile infantry and, and chariots, all of a sudden they're not engaging in warfare anymore because they're at the bottom of the sea? People know about that? Do you know that they washed up on the shore for a long time after that? I mean, you got to think about this. How long do you think it takes news like that to travel? Well, I'll give you an indication. Forty years later, they go in at Jericho, and Rahab says, in so many words, forgive my paraphrase, it's as close as any of the modern versions. Rahab says, uh, she said, we heard about what your God did at the Red Sea. Scared us to death. <laughs> she paid, that's what she said. Read about what she said. So many words. She's like, we're wondering why you haven't gone over here before. I mean, Jericho was a flood time, but the, the, the people in Jericho was a flood time. Okay, Jordan was a flood time, but the people in Jericho weren't thinking that was safety because they knew their God had done this. So the power in the deliverance. 
The actual power in the deliverance. I'm amazed sometimes with how inculcated I was at a young age with evolution, with the secular mindset, with the burgeoning beginnings of the ecology movement, and I'm just mentally bought into that right in its beginning stages. And the Isaac Asimov and Ray Bradbury and the other things with which I saturated and fermented my mind, memorizing parts of Edgar Allan Poe, who is a deranged misfit. And, you know, you think I have a weird sense of humor, but only coming out with that kind of scar is pretty remarkable. <laughs> but I think about where I was. I think about how the gospel came to me. I think about how upon salvation, so many things just changed. And how the Bible opened up. And how some things that I held to and just thought this was what was taught. This was what was accepted. Mine wasn't a church-going family. This was just accepted. This was science. Doesn't everybody know science is always right? And this, this is wonderful. And, and this is it. But when the Word of God came in, the power of that deliverance, so many things I looked at before I was made by, I looked at, that's foolish. I'm wrong that be. And before I could even have the capacity to know what was going on or have the capacity to understand what was happening in the transforming of the mind through the Word of God, God was changing that. There's a power in our deliverance. There's a power that can keep you clean and a power that can give you life and a power. And what is this? Hey, Israel was a nation that is marked by, what's our word? Separation. And you're never going to get to go home if you don't pass the test. It's marked by separation. Separation of death. I don't think it's hard to see the spiritual applications in this, is it? The separation, then not only of death, but the separation of deliverance. The power of deliverance, then, that they were indeed free from bondage. When they left Egypt, they were afraid of the Egyptians, with good reason. When they got up to the uh, to the shore of the Red Sea and they could not go to the right and could not go to the left because of the uh, geography and the wind and the things that were there, they had reason to be scared. When they could hear those chariots coming and see the dust coming up and those people are completely angry because most of them have lost a loved one, they have a reason to be scared. But once they came up out of that other side of the Red Sea and the sea closed back on them, Pharaoh's armies were at the bottom of that sea. They knew their God had truly delivered them. And so what is this? The separation of deliverance. It's, it's God's power and deliverance. And it's they were free from bondage. It's a great thing when someone understands I'm free. I love that song. I learned it early in my Christian life. Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. I can wash it in the blood of Jesus. Been born again. Hey, I may not sing it on tune, but there's a melody in my heart. Amen. I just have poor heart, the vocal cord coordination. They were free from bondage. And then the separation and deliverance was a distinct statement that they were not to be tempted to go back again. In fact, it's, it's kind of interesting, Alyssa. God said there was a shorter way to get to Canaan than the way they went. And He says that. But He told Moses, He said, I didn't bring you around that way. Because you had Philistines and people up in that area, and the people lived up along the shorelines, and they could have went up around the north end of that Red Sea. It actually been easier. It's topography. It was easier topography. 
fast for traveling, but he said, you'll see war and turn back. They would have been so close back to Egypt, if they'd run into war, they'd run into opposition, they weren't strong enough to, to stand up to that yet, and they would have turned around and ran right back into slavery. And so what was the deliverance? The Red Sea deliverance. That deliverance, that separation of deliverance showed the power and that, 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 that deliverance showed that they were free from bondage, but it also showed them there's no going back. Uh, I hope that we can sing from our heart, though none go with me, still I will follow. And uh, keep following the Lord. There's nothing to go back to with that. So separation of death, separation of deliverance, and then there's a separation of decision. As I mentioned earlier, they came to the Jordan River, but the time I just told you about was predated 40 years by them coming to the Jordan River the first time. A place called Kadesh Barnea. One spy was chosen out from each tribe. They weren't supposed to be going across to make a decision as to whether or not they went into the land. They were just to go spy out the land. The decisions are made by God. They didn't go, did they? How many of the 12 spies encouraged them and said, we can do it? How many? Two. They got to go in. That old generation from 20 years old and upward, everyone that could muster and go to war, their carcasses, I'm using Bible language, their carcasses died in the or, or fell in the wilderness. Isn't that, isn't that a way to say it? A separation, a, a, the separation and decision. So there's a separation of death for this nation. This death of the Lamb. This death of the firstborn. The death of the Lamb. The passing over so that they would not die. That separated them out to become a nation. That was their identity. They had not been a nation before. No such thing as a nation of Israel. They became the nation of Israel then. But then there was a deliverance where they were taken across where it's like no going back to Egypt now with this. And then there was the separation of decision where they, as a nation, as a people, identified now as God's people, needed to step into the fullness of God's living, into the fullness of God's promise, and they came right up to that decision and said, we're not going to do it. And in order to cover their own unbelief, which is what Hebrews uh, identifies that as, they accused God. And said, you just brought us out to kill our children. That's what, they what a statement to say to God. You just brought us out to kill us. You brought us out there to kill us. You, uh, you know, we could have been all right back in Egypt. And you're going to kill our children. So you know what God's judgment was? He said, well, your children are going to go in the promised land, and you're not. I'll keep your children alive for 40 years. And you won't go in. What an offensive, horrible, hateful thing to say to the creator God. And so there's a separation of decisions. Sometimes people who have the separation of death, they know Christ is their Passover. They have the separation uh, of, of deliverance. God's done some things in their life. They come to a point of actually living a full life for God. And when that comes down where it's going to really cost them something, where it's really going to require some dedication, they say, oh, no, hold on now. You know, I, may, I want to be a Christian all, but no. You have to do is wander. Well, they don't go back to Egypt. And they don't go to the promised land. They just wonder until their carcass falls. That's not God's design for us. That's not what He wants. That generation that didn't go over the Jordan River, listen to this. 
They did not lose their identity. They were still Israel while they were going around that wilderness. They did not lose their identity, Brother Keith, but they lost their opportunity. That's vital. People say, well, I'm still a Christian if I didn't. Well, just because I didn't doesn't make me not a Christian. Oh, you're not going to lose your identity. Oh, but you can lose your opportunity. God wants to take us somewhere. I hope you'll come with me. We're going. To have a biblically founded faith and learn more and more about our Savior and be more and more dependent on Him and honor Him. It's going to be neat. But uh, we have to decide. We have to decide and we'll follow God. Whatever that may mean. And uh, going forward, may God help us each to do it. May God help me to do it. We're going to need His grace, aren't we? God's prevailing and continuing purpose for them as a nation was not only that they be separated out, coming from Egypt, but emphatically that they be separated unto. So God didn't want to just pull them out of Egypt and leave them. That wasn't his purpose. They had to get out of Egypt so they could go to the Israel or, or to, to the promised land. Uh, what we now know is the nation or the land of Israel. Look in Deuteronomy 6. It tells you about this. Look over in Deuteronomy 6. Now, Sunday's the New Year's Day. People make resolutions. People cause revolutions. <laughs> Hopefully somebody will make restitution. But there's really some new things happened here. Deuteronomy 6, look in verse 23. And He brought us out from thence, talking about from Egypt, that He might bring us in to give us the land which He sware unto our fathers. Very emphatically, He brought us out to bring us in. I promise you that's always the way God does. He brings you out to bring you in. Hey, you can't come in and be part of Egypt and be in the promised land. Geographically, the promised land and Egypt are not together. You can't stay in one and be in the other. And so it is with following the Lord. New nation had an order of dwelling given to them by God. While they were traveling, they would set up camp sometimes for good periods of time. In other words, that pillar. At night, it was a pillar of fire. Day, pillar of cloud. And as long as it stayed put, they stayed put. When it moved, they moved. That's like that. You're going to have no warning with that at all. Wouldn't that just drive uh, some of you folks who can't go anywhere without knowing the exact destination? Wouldn't that drive you nuts? Make me happy. Um, the new nation had an order of dwelling given to them by God. When they were stopped, there was an order to what they were doing. This order served for their protection. It served for their peace, their prosperity. And by the way, learning about serves for our instruction, our edification. Write this down. Numbers chapter 2. Numbers chapter 2. That reveals the divine order of their dwelling. It'll be worth you studying later. Not now while I'm preaching, please. But Numbers chapter 2. Check that out. Now, Brother Carpenter, I'm ready for that now. I'm going to show you something. The last part of this message has to do with this thing of God's separation as far as their dwelling goes. 
You should be able to see it there. If not, I'll move this pulpit back a little. I'm not going to try to fool with that decoration. Knock it over. Plus, it's got glitter on it, which makes me not like it. I don't want to look like that. A head-on collision with spoofle dust. He does a good job at that. The carpenter is officially a board member now. <laughs> Hopefully not B-O-R-E-D. Okay, yeah, that'll work. Thank you. Can you see that from where you are? Sort of? I'd like to be able to see all right. Now, God had a specific dwelling place for these folks. We'll cheat a little just in case they lose part of it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm just hanging a little. Got it. Thanks, sir. And he had, uh, when they set up camp, they had to set it up the same. Can you see it over here if I'm not standing right? When they would stop, there was a certain way things would be set up. They had the tabernacle. I'm going to, I'm going to put this down here. Okay, this is the tabernacle. Tabernacle was basically a big tent structure. Very elaborate. I'm not, I want you to not think of canvas or something like that. But this was made out of skins, but very heavy to transport. So they had certain people who did that. And uh, it was the center. I've got him off center. That's going to be a problem. Let me move my tabernacle down. I'm not in charge. I'm not a quote that, apparently. Pretty about here in the middle, right? Tabernacle. But that was the place where God's presence would dwell. Within that tabernacle, you had the holy place, the most holy place. You had the laver, which is where they would wash before they went in. The priest went in. The priest would go in. Sacrifices were offered upon the brazen altar. You had the altar of incense, which shows prayer. You had the table of showbread. You had a lot of things. He said, I don't know all about that, okay? The message tonight is not elaborating on the tabernacle, but this is where they met to worship God. So this is where God's presence was. This is where they met to worship God. This is where the pillar of fire, pillar of cloud would be up over this. One of the tribes dwelt in the middle with this, and that was the tribe of Levi. I'll just put that down right now, right now. Okay, so this was the tribe of Levi from which came the priest. So that was there. Then, I'm going to take it in the order that the Lord gives it in the Bible when he explains it. You have on the east side. Now it's interesting, you have 12 tribes separated into four different areas where they would camp around the tabernacle, making the tabernacle the center focus of everything that was going on. And so on the east side, which is where the Bible picks up the narrative talking about this, it says on the east side towards the sun rising. That's neat. Because when it goes to the west side, it doesn't mention anything about the sun going down. But it makes an emphasis about the sun rising. Well, that's pretty neat because the first tribe that's mentioned over here and the other two tribes that are with them are kind of put in underneath them with this is a tribe called the tribe of Judah. And Jesus, of course, was not an Aaronical or a Levitical priest, but had a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. He was not from this tribe. By the way, when you hear the word tribe, all right, here's what I want you to think. Tribe, some of you can't read this back there, I know, I'm sorry. Try to write bigger when we're running out bored. Is family. That's going to be very important right then in the message. So when we think the word tribe, we should think what word? 
family, all right? And so going on here with this, I call some of your all's families tribes. I'm very biblical by doing it. That's <laughs> one time I came here a little while, took a little offense at me, didn't I? I don't think, I don't think it's nice. You're calling them a tribe. I'm like, okay, I won't do it if it bothers you. There's no bothers you. You have a nice pack there, herd. Anyway, the troop. Troop was probably better, like baboons. Um, and so Judah, someone very important in the Bible, came from the tribe of Judah. Who was it? You know? The lion of the tribe of Judah. Who is it? Jesus Christ. And so it's interesting when this is mentioned, how they set up the dwelling, the first thing that's mentioned is the rising of the sun, and the first one that's mentioned is Judah. I don't believe that's accidental. Pretty amazing. God has a structure for the way He does it. Then your other two on here, you have Issachar. 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 And then you have Zebulun. Zebulun. I think I put Zebulun in the right place. Zebulun. Maybe you and I. It's not Zebulun. Zebulun. Then something different in the Hebrew, although I have no clue what it might be. All right? So you have these three over here. At the end of the, we'll do a pop test. Dinner pop quiz here. You have to know this. Then it goes in order this way. And then the south, for those who are not proficient with maps, that's where south would be. You had three different tribes there. You had the oldest of these. I can't write each one up there. You have Reuben. You have Simeon. And you have Gad. I think Gad that is the name Gad. Here he comes. Um, so you have these three here. So what you have, these are tribes. When we think tribe, we think what? Family, right? So you have these families have a specific place they're supposed to be, and they're all around the tabernacle, which is where God's presence is, God's worship is, and in the, the heartbeat of God. Then the west side is given next, and this is interesting. You get around the west side, on the west side, right? You have half-tribe of Manasseh. And you have the half-tribe of Ephraim. Now, whose children were Manasseh and Ephraim? Joseph. That were born to him in Egypt. There is only one time, only one time, that the term, the tribe of Joseph is used in the Bible. And it's in Numbers 13, when they're choosing out spies to go into the promised land. And it says one from the tribe of Joseph, particularly from Manasseh. When you hear the tribe, the tribe of, now it's mentioned as a tribe a couple other times, but the phrase the tribe of Joseph shows up once. So it's interesting because Levi is separated out here. Why? Because the priest... They wouldn't be given land either. They had some cities, but they weren't given land to farm and such. Because they lived off the tithe of the other people. Why did they do that? Because they gave themselves to the worship, to taking care of the house of God, to teaching the people so the rest of the nation could remain healthy with their God. The rest of the nation was to take care of them so that they could give their life to doing that. That's God's divine order. And that's the way he had set it up. So you have half-tribe of Manasseh, half-tribe of Ephraim, and then you have the youngest of the twelve. You know these were the Benjamin. These are the twelve children. 
course, Joseph would be here. But the 12 children of the man, Jacob, who became called Israel. So the tribes of Israel are the children, their families. So when you think of the word tribe, think of the word family. So we have Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Reuben, Simeon, Gad, Manasseh, Ephraim, and, and uh, uh, Benjamin over here. And then up in the north, on the north end of things, because that would be different from each other. It'll bother me if it doesn't bother you. Um, put it above the north. So up here, you have Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. Is that okay, preacher? See that? Now remember, their deliverance. They were brought out. Watch our word with Israel. Israel is what kind of a nation? It's a separated nation. And we're dealing with a new nation. And the word you're going to find that fits and, and fits every application that's is separated. Think of the word distinction with the word separated. You're a peculiar people unto me. You're distinct. God said, I want you distinctly for myself. I want you to be different than others with that. And so what happens is, when they would come together, these tribes, these families, they had the tabernacle, the place of worship there in the middle with it. What happened when God's design of this new nation, He said, I'm going to set this up differently than anything you've ever seen. God said, I'm right there in the middle. We read in our passage, in our text, God said, I'm going to bring you out unto myself. Over and over again in the Bible, Old and New Testament, you find that God says, I want to dwell in the midst of them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the Lamb shall lead them and shall feed them. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly of spirit, and you shall find rest under your souls. Today shall thou be with me in paradise. It's always been about this. And the positioning of every one of these families was relational to the tabernacle. In God's peculiar nation, in God's peculiar people, He wants the tabernacle to be the center of what all goes on. All their commerce, all their interactions, all their relationships pivot around that center hub that is called the tabernacle. The final thing I'm going to give you. Each one of these families, each one of these tribes, had something that was called a standard. So what's standard? It's also called an ensign or an ensign. And it would be what we have up here. This is recognized as the Christian flag. That would be called a standard or an ensign. It is something to represent the fact that this is a Christian church and believes in Christ, believes in the cross, believes in... Calvary. This one is an American flag. From altar groups really don't like you having one of these, but if they don't like it that much, they can go find a place that doesn't have this flag and live there. 
sooner the better. And please take some government officials with you. <laughs> That's a standard. Each tribe, each family had their standard. How many of you know what a coat of arms is? It's not someone's bunch of things hanging on. Okay, a coat of arms. It's like a little flag or a crest or a, 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 a symbol uh, that shows something about families. I have somewhere we have a coat of arms for my family. In the early days, they came over. It didn't have a G on it. Instead of Manning, it was Manning was, was the name uh, with that. And so there's a coat of arms I've seen before for our family name. And, and all that has a crest on it. But what is it? It's to identify. This is what we are. There would be certain colors, certain designs, certain things on it. Uh, with it. And so what happened was every single family had a standard. Every single family was placed where God placed them. Judah didn't decide to be on the sunrise inside. God did. There was a reason for that. Issachar didn't make a decision to be his neighbor. Zebulun didn't make a decision to be on that side. God put them there. God put them over there and up here. He put them there. And they were in position relational to that tabernacle. They were individuals yet within the whole nation. It took all of them to be the nation. But within that nation, every one of them had a standard. Not a different standard in odds with each other, but standards that reflected the fact they were Israelites. Within the, being Israelites, they had a certain thing, certain duty. They did certain things. And they had certain duties every time they'd move. Certain things that went on. Now watch. Including who was last and who watched, who guarded. Who, the whole thing was laid out by God. Here's a statement I put, you, put down with that. Each family was not afraid to raise high the standard which the living God had given them. That's it again. Each family was not afraid to raise high the standard that the living God had given them. They didn't say, well, we'll just raise a standard as a nation as a whole. They said, we'll raise, hey, we're part of the tribe of Dan. And the tribe of Dan is for the living God. We're part of the tribe of Simeon. And the tribe of Simeon is for the living God. But we're part of the tribe of Benjamin. And Benjamin is for the living God. And that's my tabernacle. That's my God. Every family, every family raised high the standard that would honor their God. The nation the nation as a whole was only as strong spiritually, morally, economically, militarily. They were only as strong as were the individual families from which that nation was made. When the families began dipping their standards, when Zebulun allowed in corruption, when Asher allowed in compromise, the entire nation was weakened. Talking about new things. In this new nation, God's worship in God's house is the sinner. The God of that house is the sinner. And every single family is 
given value in relationship to their relationship with the God of that tabernacle. Oh, I seem to remember coming across to the New Testament and reading a passage that said, ye are a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. I remember reading where it said, ye are made kings and priests unto our God. Seems like there's a lot we can learn from this. What are you going to do as individual families? Or you just want to try to count on everybody around you keeping this thing right? Let's pray together, please. Father, thank you for the words of God as we have them in this book. Lord, I pray for wisdom in the head of my household to keep our standard right, biblical, and consistent with you, please. God, I pray that those who have a heart to do that, that you'll give them wisdom and instruction and encourage them. Lord, we need some courage in our day. We need to hear from you. We need courage. There's a lot pressing against your people. And Lord, they need strength. I pray you'll help them. God, may the desire be turned into reality. And our young people, may they not be dependent on their parents to do it. May they decide to be right. Be godly young people. God, I pray our, our dads and husbands and the men in their church be godly men. May our ladies be truly ladies of God. Help us, Lord, to be a peculiar people unto you, separated unto you, according to the word of God, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, please. I'll be some people at the altar tonight. And God, just help me to hold up the standard of the Bible that you've given me. Say, well, what's my standard? What you know about it, what you're responsible for, what you clearly have been taught and understood. Who else? We got some down here. I have to wait for music. At least some folks say, look, I publicly want to do this. Publicly want to give myself to holding up the standard that God's given to me. A song invitation. Who else will come? Yeah, well, preacher, I don't know what all that means. Well, that's the whole point. Don't <laughs> you be yielded and then find out. That's God's way. He'll show you. I don't have a list of things to hand you when you come down here. This actually can be yielded to God. get serious later and I'll get involved in the church later and that kind of stuff. What makes you think it'll be here? Everybody thinks like you, it won't be. I believe God wants to do work. I know God wants me to do work. I believe this is the place He wants that done. Let's go forward together. Forward in yieldedness. Forward in love for the Lord.